Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. If you all have your Bibles with you, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll begin at verse 14 and we'll go through verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5. 14 through 21, these are the words of God. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now We know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Have you ever thought about what sets the church apart in times like these? What makes you and I, as God's people, genuinely different? It's an important question. Now, just so you know, I'm not talking about some unique market share in the world, uh, something that enables the church to remain viable as an organization among competing entities. That's all nonsense. Lots of churches live that way, and I believe that it is foolishness. Instead, what I'm talking about is an existential difference. I'm talking about a difference that is real, One that has an actual impact on here and now. In a way, I'm reflecting on holiness proper with this question, what it means to be set apart. Last week, I I said that living by fear and not by faith would be to abdicate our responsibility for being set apart. After all, we are not a people of the spirit of this world. The scripture tells us that we have not been given a spirit of fear, 2 Timothy 1.7. Instead, we've been given God's spirit. We've been given a new spirit, one of power, one of love, and discipline. And although this spirit will affect every area of our lives, I also made it clear that Paul was not talking about pandemics in his message to young Timothy. But we'll talk more about that in a bit. So the question remains, what truly sets you and I apart? Today, we're going to answer this question, and the answer that we're going to find is no doubt going to challenge each and every one of us, because in identifying what does set us apart, we will have to admit and even relinquish our bragging rights as to what does not set us apart, no matter how strongly we think they do set us apart. Another challenge that we're going to face today is that once we do see what sets us apart, we're going to have to get busy actually doing it. There is no longer an excuse after we hear what the truth of God's word says. 
This is where the context of 2 Timothy chapter 1 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5 come clearly into view. So first things first, what doesn't set us apart? I hope you know that Christians do not have a monopoly on kindness, compassion, and even charity. This is hard for some to hear. A brief survey of life as well as the Bible itself, hear me church, the Bible itself will show us that the non-believing world around us can and does do many good things. See Luke 6, 32 through 36. It's also worth noting that they, that is the world, even do good things for those unlike themselves. So doing good things and doing them for people different than themselves or different than us is not what makes the church unique. In 2019, one, the 100 largest charities pulled in a whopping $51.5 billion in donations. That's in 2019. That's up 5% from the year before, which equaled an impressive 12% of the $427 billion in total contributions. You can find that report online through Giving USA. Now, here's a fantastic stat for the church, and this is one that we should praise God concerning. The lion's share of that $427 billion does, in fact, come from you and I. It comes from the church. In 2018, uh, the giving of the church represented, out of $427 billion, represented $410 billion. If we combine those figures, our total, the church's total, is 96% of all charitable donations. So don't mishear me. The church is absolutely generous. The church is compassionate, and the church cannot and should not be ignored on this front. However, and before we get too proud of ourselves, which of course God, God shuns anyway, Proverbs 3.34, there are still the glaring and often unanswered questions of how churches spend their money. To say that all religious giving is intrinsically good is to downright ignore sin, which so easily entangles, and yes, church, it easily entangles us as well, and it is to ignore Jesus' own reprimand of the religious people of his day. See Matthew 21, 12 through 13, Mark 7, 11, Mark 11, 15 through 18, and Luke 21, 1 through 4. All that said, I don't want my point to get lost in all of, that, of those stats. Sure, the church is doing great, but we are not the only ones. Even if non-believers represented a mere one-tenth of one percent, it still proves that giving does not make us unique. There's somebody else in the game of giving. Doesn't matter how little or much they give, there's someone else there. I also hear Christians claim that self-sacrifice is the answer. And by the way, this is intimately connected with Jesus' own definition of love. See John 15, 13. You all remember the passage. No greater love has anyone than he would lay down his life for his friends. Self-sacrifice. I hear people say, well, Christians lay down their lives for those who are sick and dying. Those who are in need, especially, uh, especially at the risk of their own lives. Well, fair enough. History supports this as an overwhelmingly true reality. And although I don't have the stats to prove it, my guess is that the amount of self-sacrifice that Christians throughout time have given mirrors 
quite exactly uh, what I shared as far as giving stats just a second ago. In other words, the church is probably leading the way in self-sacrificing too. But the point still remains. If someone else is in second place, then self-sacrifice also is not what sets us apart. Many of us know or have benefited from non-believing medical professionals who work tirelessly with sick patients for a cure. All the while, they're risking their own well-being and sometimes even the well-being of the families that they go home to. Add to that non-believing military, non-believing police, non-believing emergency workers. All of these people sacrificially give every single day of their life. So giving doesn't make us unique, and self-sacrifice doesn't make us unique. Another thing that doesn't make us unique is the notion of justice. This too, by the way, is deeply connected with God's definition of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 6. Love does not rejoice in evil, but celebrates with truth, and justice and truth are intimately connected. Although the world has a very perverse and bitter form of justice, so too can God's people. See Amos 5, 6 through 7. The fact still remains that Christians and non-Christians alike fight alongside each other to bring about justice, fight alongside each other, not amongst each other, but alongside each other, to bring about justice for those caught in sex trafficking, for those caught in modern forms of slavery, for those that are stuck under oppressive or tyrannical governments, and the list goes on and on. So yet again, we have to admit that justice, social or otherwise, is also not setting the church apart. So let's do a brief thought experiment. I want you to engage with this. So if you want to comment on the Facebook live feed, please do that. But listen to this. If all we as Christians did... And don't mishear what I'm about to say. We ought to do the things I've listed above, and we are commanded to do the things that I've listed above. But if all we did as the church was to provide charity, was to live self-sacrificial lives, or was to advocate for justice in the present life, how are we not merely, in one sense, offering people the world while forfeiting their souls? We are not offering them anything of eternal value. And it is this thought that should lead us to want to know what truly sets us apart as Christians. So here's the answer. Here's what does set us apart. And this shouldn't come as a surprise to those of us who are followers of Jesus. What sets us apart is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the good news and it is the hope that that good news presents. Of course, some think that this is too simple, maybe even a little bit foolish. So before we explore why the gospel is what sets us apart, let me first point out a few very important truths that it in fact does set us apart. Number one, just to calm any fears of the foolishness of what we do and what we preach, Paul acknowledged that the gospel would appear foolish to the world. You can study that yourself in 1 Corinthians 1.18 or 1 Corinthians 1.23. Number two, this is no ordinary message that we've been given. Romans 1.16 tells us that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, which means what we're sharing, what, we, what does set us apart, is vitally important for the salvation of the world. 
Number three, the message approach that God takes, the gospel or a message of reconciliation, is how God has always operated. This is his MO. The scripture tells us that Jesus is the logos, that Jesus is the word, and that through him all things that exist came into being. John chapter 1 verse 3 or Romans eleven thirty six. God created the world through a message, church, and he is saving the world through a message. God spoke life into existence, and he is speaking new life right now into existence through his gospel. We have to remember also, number four, how our salvation is appropriated. The scripture teaches us that we are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8. We also know that Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews 11.6. So these are important connectors in our story. I've shared this many times, but faith, uh, to demystify it for you, faith is trust and that is all. But we are saved by grace through placing that trust in a saving Lord and in that gospel which is unique to us. Lastly, number five, we have to remember how faith comes. Faith, according to Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's the gospel church. That's what sets us apart. No one else on the planet, no people group on the planet has a message from God offering to save sinners, to save the world. What sets us apart, church, is more than a message or a headline in a newspaper. This is the message that offered hope for us to trust in. This is the message that allows others to see the hope in our lives. This message is the only gospel of hope for the world. Last week in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul reassures uh, us that, that we have a new spirit. That spirit is a spirit of power and love and discipline. And as I shared with you last week and at the beginning of this message, it doesn't have anything to do specifically with pandemics. Again, the spirit we've been given will affect every area of our life. We need power, love, and discipline in every area of our life. Please don't mishear me. But this is not what Paul was dealing with with young Timothy. What was he dealing with? The declaration of the very thing that sets us apart. It's within the context of proclaiming the gospel. Now here's what you need to remember. After 2 Timothy 1.7 comes 2 Timothy 1.8. Because we learned how to count in kindergarten, right? And verse 8 says that Timothy should not be ashamed of the spirit he has. No. Not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord which is something that we in the church struggle with greatly today. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 through 16, regardless of persecution, Peter encourages his readers to, quote, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks about the hope they possess. The word defense here is the word apologia or apologetic in a modern parlance. And it simply means to give a reason. This is why many translations rightly render the verse, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Do you know what that reason is? The gospel. It is Jesus Christ come to save humanity. That is what the truth is in our testimony in the message that sets us apart. 
And now, back to 2 Corinthians 5, we will see why. Here, Paul refers to the gospel as the message of reconciliation. This opens up the whole idea in a most magnificent way. So again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 14. These are the words of God. For the love of Christ controls us. Many translations render that compels us. But nonetheless, what we see is that God is the source behind it all. Having concluded this, Paul goes on to say, that one died for all, therefore all died. Notice what is said here. Jesus died for all, and therefore all died. It is really a hard thing for us to understand how Jesus' death was a substitutionary death for all. Sure, we will all die in our lives, but when Jesus died, we all died. But look, it goes on, and it's really important to draw this distinction. One died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all so that, and this is a different group, they who live might no longer live for themselves. Who are they that live? Those who place their trust in Jesus Christ. Christ, make no mistake, church, Christ died for the sins of all humanity. And in a substitutionary way, all died. But not all live, the scripture would tell us, because not all place their trust in Jesus. He died for all so that they who live may no longer live for themselves. Who compels us or controls us, according to our verse 14? Christ now, because we belong to him. But for him who died and rose again on their behalf, who do we serve? Jesus, church. We serve the Lord of glory. Here, in Jesus' actions and what we are called to model, we have every one of our themes that we listed above. We have charity, we have love, we have self-sacrifice, we have justice. It's all there, and we are to model it. But what sets us apart comes next. Verse 16, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer, because he is risen. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. That is how we refer to Christians, as new creation. This is why we are called to have a great deal of compassion and love for one another. We are not considering each other according to the flesh any longer, but according to this new creation. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, past tense passed away. Behold, new things have come, present perfect. They are coming in this life now. Verse 18, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We need to understand what that is. It is the gospel of Jesus. Listen to verse 19, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors? Ambassadors proclaiming what? 
the gospel of Jesus Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. Now listen to this. This is so important. We beg you on behalf of Christ, we are ambassadors. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The first thing to notice is that verse 19 says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. You cannot separate the Father from the Son in their, uh, in their will, in their expressed intended will. The Father through the Son was reconciling who? The world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. This is a key part of the gospel church. Because of the mercy of God, Please understand this. He is offering not to count the trespasses of people against them. This is a far cry from the idea that is bandied about in the world today that says God is so outrageously upset, it's a wonder he saves anyone. Sure, that is true. But what we see from the pages of Scripture is that God, through Christ, is not counting our sins against us. And why? Because of his great love for his creation. This is what Peter means in 1 Peter 3.15 when he says that we should speak of our hope with gentleness. With gentleness. What is that gentleness? We should be declaring at the top of our lungs that the God of the universe, through Christ Jesus, is not counting our sins with which we have clearly committed against us, and that all who hear this gospel message should repent and believe. The second point is that Paul is here restating our Lord's commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 to go preach the gospel. Jesus both commissioned and committed us to the ministry and the word of reconciliation. What does this mean? It means that he has entrusted to us the message and he has ordered us to deliver it. Finally, we see that God is making an appeal through us. That's powerful. But this is no ordinary appeal. And this is what's going to challenge some of you today. Notice that Paul says, as ambassadors, they are begging you on behalf of Christ. Who gets credit when something is done on behalf of someone else? Who gets credit is the someone else. Who is, who is doing the act even vicariously through others? Who is actually doing the act? The other person. The person on whose behalf the task is done is the one who gets praise and the one who is actually carrying out the task. In this context, and this is hard for many to hear, Christ is begging. Christ is pleading with a world, his world, to be reconciled to his Father. Absolutely not, Nathan. Christ never begs. God never begs. You have no idea the extent that our Father and his Son will go. This may take some of you off guard and make you uncomfortable, but it remains entirely in line with God's loving character. Think about it this way. This is the God who becomes incarnate, that is, condescends to humanity, who considers equality with himself something not to be grasped, but instead humbles himself, coming in the form of man. Why? Because he is begging us. This is the father who runs off the porch for his prodigal. 
This is the master who sends out invitations to the highways and the byways simply to ensure that his wedding banquet is full. This is the God we are talking about. The gospel is a message that declares in God's great love and mercy, he is begging all who will believe and humble themselves to repent and trust in him. This is God pleading with sinners, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Church, what sets us apart is that we have been entrusted with the only true good news the world has. This news says that even if you find no charity in this world, God is charitable to his This is the news that says, even if you cannot find justice in this life, God is just and the justifier of those who walk by faith. This is the gospel that says, even if you don't experience healing on this side of heaven, God is your healer and it will not be long. Trust him, hold fast, stand firm. Sure, church. Let us lead the way in charity. Let us lead the way in love. Let us lead the way in selflessness. Let us lead the way in bringing about justice. But church, none of that matters eternally if we do not lead the way in the only thing that sets us apart. The message of reconciliation, the gospel of Jesus Christ that is commanded to be always on our lips. We are presently in an escalating pandemic, and I can't overstate the seriousness of what's going on. We are facing issues that arise once in a century, maybe. Countless people are weary and heavy laden, and there's one thing that that can give them peace. Sure, help them with their finances. Sure, help them with their food. We should do this, church. Sure, help them with childcare and help them with their health and their safety. But please, as Paul says to Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Why? Because in its right context, church, we have not been given a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and discipline to open our mouths to preach and to proclaim the gospel of reconciliation, the gospel of peace to a world that is lost and dying. Church, it's a wonderful thing for us to do all of these charitable and kind things. It's a fun thing to have a beard shaving contest in which the proceeds are going to go to help those who really are struggling in this moment. I hear of churches giving their tithes and their offerings to uh, entire groups of people so that they can have health care or that they can have child care while they provide health care for those in need. All of that is wonderful. But hear me clearly. If in these moments we do not proclaim the name of Jesus, we have missed the most important opportunity that we have before us. Because charity and justice and mercy and all of these things mean nothing without Jesus. They mean nothing without him. So as you go and as you do and as you obey what we are clearly commanded to do, please, church, Don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid. Open your mouth and tell people this simple truth, that you have been given a message of reconciliation, that the God of the universe, through his son, Jesus Christ, is reconciling the world to himself, that he is not counting anybody's sins against them, but that they must repent and believe and follow after him. And that in doing this, in doing this, nothing we face in this life will shake us. Nothing we face in this life will will ever move us away from a place of peace. God is good, church. God is totally for us. Let us place our trust in him alone. As the worship team comes up, I want to pray with you for boldness and for strength to do what God says. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you do, for your grace, for your mercy, for how much you love us. Father, we are repenting in this moment of the things that we believe set us apart. The world is charitable. The world is gracious. The world can be loving. The world can be just. But what the world does not have, Lord, we praise you for. What the world does not have is the message of reconciliation that you gave to us through your son, that no matter what we face in this life, we can have peace in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our King. Father, give everybody in this, in this uh, church and everybody listening to this message a spirit of boldness to not be ashamed of the message and the testimony of Christ Jesus. Give us boldness that as we help our neighbor, we would tell them about Jesus. Give us boldness that as we infiltrate Facebook and social media and all of those platforms, that we would never allow the name of Jesus to be absent from our post, from our lips, from the truth that we share. Father, give us the boldness to speak to our family in this time of chaos and and crisis. Give us strength, Lord. Give us boldness. Give us determination to tell the world that no matter what, coronavirus or any other pandemic or any other tragedy or anything that comes against us likes to say, nothing in Jesus Christ can separate us from the love of God. Father, you have shaped us and changed us and molded us into your ambassadors. Give us boldness to be just that. In Jesus' great and wonderful name we pray. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.